there's a lot of change happening in job shops. And if you're not changing and you're not evolving, then you're going to get left behind. And your customers know that. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. All right, episode 143. Today, we're discussing how to identify and speak to your ideal customer. Now, this is a branding, marketing, and sales-focused episode. Our guest this week is Emily Wilkins, president and founder of Marketing Metal, her company that's focused on helping radical job shops, quote, make big profits by creating a killer brand and building out a stupid, simple marketing machine, end quote. Given this very loud mission statement, there's no better person than Emily to cover some branding, sales, and marketing strategies in this episode. Here are a few things you can expect today. First, we'll hear about the importance of focusing on a niche audience through the lens of Emily's personal story of founding Marketing Metal. Second, in full transparency, I worked with Emily not too long ago to build out the Manufacturing Champions brand, a group I created with Jay Call, the manufacturing millennial, you probably know him, to help elevate the voices of current and up-and-coming leaders in manufacturing. We use this example for discussing some tactics and strategies that job shops and other manufacturers should consider adopting. Finally, we'll cover some other things manufacturers should stop and start doing, plus a few final tips and personal stories from Emily on leveraging your unique voice. As always, if you want to learn more, head to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 143. That's 143. And if you have any big takeaways from this episode, hey, share what those were over on LinkedIn. You can use the link to the show notes page that I just gave you, post a link to it, say, hey, I learned this by listening to Emily on Manufacturing Happy Hour. Start a conversation. Tag me. Would love to hear what you learned from this episode. Anyway, with that, let's head to Western Michigan to meet up for today's conversation with Emily Wilkins. Emily, an episode that has been over a year in the making. We've been working on a bunch of, I'd say, behind the scenes projects and things like that. And it's great to to finally have you here. So as uh, as someone that's familiar with manufacturing happy hour, I have to ask you, we were, we it wasn't too long ago that we were hanging out in Western Michigan, drinking beers mm-hmm. at New Holland Brewing. But uh, if you had to pick any theoretical spot for this afternoon conversation, if we were having beverages, where would that be? Paint the picture for us. Well, in Holland, Sagatuck, where I live, a couple of our favorite spots to go are... Um, the Southerner. I can't do beer a lot. It kind of, it really messes up my tummy. So, <laughs> so I'm kind of like a bougie. My, my favorite drink is a, is an old fashioned bourbon, old fashioned. And the best place in town for those is the Southerner. There's also Pumpernickel's downtown Sagatuck is one of my faves. And uh, recently we started going to the taco and bar in Holland. You got to get a, a tequila drink when you're there, of course. So 
Okay, so we're going on a little cocktail bar crawl, is what I heard. Yeah, we're going to the yeah. we're going to the pumpernickel. <laughs> we're going to go to the southerner. We're going to compare old fashions, and then we're going to have a, a tequila drink, maybe a margarita of sorts to to wash that down with. <laughs> we're going to be hammered. <laughs> I was going to say that'll that'll make for an interesting conversation, but this is just theoretical. So the real question is: Let's say we are having bourbon old fashions, having a conversation. Uh, the first question I have to ask you is: What does it mean to be a radical job shop? Because that's that's how you brand it, and you're a branding person. So I'm curious: What does it mean to be a radical job shop? Yeah, so radical job shops make big profits and bigger impact. They care about their people and their communities. Um, they understand that profitability allows them to grow and um, just do better in all areas of their shop. They understand the value of having a great brand and marketing. I say that they need grit and courage because having a radical brand means that you're speaking directly to a specific type of person. And in doing so, you might you might alienate other people, right? You might rub other people the wrong way or you might not appeal to them, but you have to be fine with that because they're not your customers anyway. You don't care about them. Great point. We're going to get into all of job shop marketing, manufacturing, marketing, branding, as we get further into this conversation. But first, I, we got to get to know your story a little bit. And I'm familiar with some of it because I've heard you tell it before, but a lot of our audience is probably hearing it for the first time. So you run Marketing Metal, uh, which is a gr company that's specifically focused on helping manufacturers with their brand tell their story but you weren't always in that niche you were more of a general freelancer at one point so take us through that story how did you become a freelancer then how did things evolve into niching down to focus on job shops and manufacturing technically i started my first agency in like 2012 when i uh, was laid off from what i thought at the time was my dream job but then I, I worked for a website development agency for a little while. That shop shut down. And one of the clients that I was trying to sell a website to at the time, they're an engineering and prototyping firm, a product development firm. And they had a lot of, a lot of inventors coming in looking to help develop a, a product, but they had no idea who was going to buy the product or how they were going to market it. So the idea when I joined the team was that I would help the company with their marketing, but then I would also create a marketing services division. So technically, Marketing Metal started as part of Broadview Product Development, and then I spun it off into its own thing. I always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to to do that. Um, I've just never been a good like corporate employee. <laughs> I always had the entrepreneur bug. But my husband, he's an engineer. He's very risk averse, very stable individual. And I'm very grateful for him because otherwise, who the hell knows where I would be right now. For me to be able to quit my job and start my own thing, I had to have like work lined up. I had a couple projects and they were all just me contracting or uh, freelancing for other. Um, I actually worked with for another couple other agencies doing some things. Then the evolution was I got to a point where I was just overworked and overwhelmed. I felt like I was, you know, I felt like I had just made myself another, another job where I was really getting paid probably less than what I was making before. I kind of got to a breaking point. Like I had a client that, um, really left me high and dry and, uh, 
had to just shift a bunch of things around in my business. I just kind of felt like everything was exploding and falling, uh, falling apart. And, um, just in a really like emotional, terrible place. My dog had just died sitting in the parking lot, actually at the emergency vet waiting to find out what was going to happen with my, my dog doom scrolling on Instagram, trying to uh, distract myself from that. And I found this program that I'm still part of actually. And she was like speaking my language, like saying everything that was wrong, you know, all of the frustrations that I had in my agency, she was talking about them. And I was like, yes, all of these things. Yes. Uh, So I kind of joined her program, learned a lot from her. One of the first things I did when I joined was really niche down into not just manufacturing, but specifically job shops. I did a little exercise with her um, and came to the conclusion that those were my favorite customers. They were the ones that I've enjoyed working with the most. And um, I've created the most impact for, for them and their business. And um, and they were also the most profitable for me too. One question I have, you brought it up earlier in your answer was you said you were working with one of the job shops and that they didn't really know who their customer was or who they were talking to. <laughs> Um, why do so many people skip this step or not get that (laughs) right? Because when we're talking about branding, marketing, selling, really anything that a job shop, a manufacturer needs to do, like you should know who you're talking to, but I feel like most people just jump to, we got to update the website. We got to have cool graphics for social media, (laughs) all that. Give We need to be first on Google. We need to be first on Google. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Why do, why do they skip this fundamental step or what have you noticed? It's a great question. I don't know if I fully know the answer. I think part of it is just like as humans, we're always in our own world and we don't even realize how much we're in our own world. Even if, even if we don't think we are, and we think that we're very attuned to other people's needs, we're still self-centered. Like we still are, that's, it's just part of our nature to like think of ourselves first. And, um, and really we, we have to think of ourselves first if we're going to be able to help other people. Um, and that's, that's a really hard lesson that I've had to learn as um, having dealing with Crohn's disease for more than half my life. If I'm sick and feeling like crap, I'm, I'm not going to be able to help other people. So I really have to focus on myself and make sure that I'm healthy, healthy first. So I think that has something to do with it. They just think they have this idea and, and they're just ready to roll with it and they just go. <laughs> So what is the, what, what coach people along on this? What, what should people be doing to make sure as they're starting to build out their brand and all the other assets that go with it, what should people be doing to make sure they get the, who am I speaking to portion, right? If you're just starting a business and you are brand new to it, you can guess at who your customer is going to be, but you're not going to have a great picture. I'm even finding stuff out all the time about my ideal customers and tweaking things as I go. Um, so, but once you have, you know, a couple of years under your belt, you've, you've had a few successful projects. Um, then you look back over your different projects, you take stock, you know, take inventory of, of what went well and what didn't go well, and you find, um, patterns. So, um, I break it down to two basic things. Who did you enjoy working with the most? What projects were you most proud of? And uh, which ones were most profitable for you? Because um, again, if you're not profitable in your business, then you're not going to be able to continue helping people. 
Yeah, one one thing that sticks out in that answer is you talk about it being an iterative process. So you're not necessarily going to know who that per that perfect person is right out of the gate, but you got to start somewhere. I remember writing down a paragraph of who my one person was when I started, who my ideal customer was. But then that started to evolve, right? You realize, oh, there's this other audience out there. Or, hey, my ideal customer, let's call him Tim, for example. You're like, oh, I've learned a bit more about Tim. He's not exactly what I thought he was originally. But here's some other things that Tim's interested in that I need to speak to when I'm talking about my brand, my business, all of those things. Those are some of my observations from that capacity. I'm curious. So what? let me ask another general question in that case. You and I have worked together on personal branding before. We've talked about personal branding. Why is personal branding like such a simple yet powerful strategy for let's focus on job shops specifically. Yeah. And it's not for everyone. I didn't think that it was something that I wanted to do. I've always been kind of somebody who liked to be in the background, making things happen and not really the center of attention. I like to listen to people. I'm really curious. And, but when I started doing it, a couple of things happened. I, I got a lot more confident just in general, talking about my work and talking helped a, a ton with my sales process and just being able to speak confidently about what I'm doing, speak really confidently about the problems that my customers experience and how my services help them. I started getting attention to myself and my and my brand, which is terrifying, but also... <laughs> Um, but also good for your business, right? You you bring in more of those ideal customers. And when you're talking about that very specific person, then it's a lot easier for them to identify themselves and for potential referral partners to, to send you the right people. A big part of my strategy has just been networking, just talking with the people that I'm connected with on LinkedIn and telling them like, this is what I'm doing. This is my process. This is exactly who I'm looking for. And I started with, I'm looking for case study clients because I'm building up my, my portfolio. Do you know anyone? I've gotten a ton of leads that way. <laughs> and then getting on shows like this one, uh, the Fabricator podcast was a huge, obviously it's very targeted to, to fab shops. I've gotten quite a few leads from that. It's just a really simple, easy way to build your authority, to show that you know what you're talking about and, and to attract a very specific type of customer who, you know, who vibes with you, right? <laughs> I have a, I have two questions. I'm trying to figure out what people's hesitancy or misunderstanding around this topic of personal branding is because I see people fall into two camps, if you will. They're either in a rush and think if they post a video and a couple posts to LinkedIn that their personal brand is just going to skyrocket. And if it doesn't within the first <laughs> two weeks, they think they've failed or people don't even bother to do that. And they're afraid to do that. <laughs> they come up with a lot of excuses as to why they don't want to do that. And then they're wondering why their business isn't succeeding. Do you have an opinion as to which one it is or what do you see more often being the thing that's stopping people from starting? I think it's the the latter. Like people just don't even start because yeah. they're afraid to or they don't want to. They, they don't want to spend 
a bunch of time on social media, which I get. I mean, I don't want to spend a bunch of time on social media. Like after, after automate last week, I was like, I had to stay off LinkedIn for a while because there's so many messages. I'm just like, Oh my God, I can't, I can't do this right now. But yeah. And, and for the audience out there for context, automate wrapped up, like just at like, as we're recording this, this will be out a month later. So hopefully both of us will have uh, recovered from one of the biggest (laughs) trade shows in, in the industry by that point. I get not wanting to spend all your time on on social media, but that's that's not what it is. And you can't look at it that way. It's figuring out what your expertise is and figuring out how to articulate that in a way that really speaks to your audience. And and the only way that you're going to be able to do that is by practicing. Just practice every day, like half hour a day or an hour a day and whatever that looks like to you. It can be getting on a podcast like this one, um, it can be starting a podcast. Although like you said in your last one, like that's, that's a huge undertaking. And, uh, it's why I haven't started mine yet because but I just don't have time for it. I might as well go on other people's podcasts and get their audience, right? <laughs> well, you bring up a good point, right? There are multiple ways to start sharing your voice, right? You can start a podcast. You can guest on other podcasts as you've done. You can post to LinkedIn semi-regularly. It doesn't need to be every day. You're making the point that you're not on there every day per se. But I think the biggest thing is you got to know who you're talking to. Otherwise, what's the point of doing those things? You know very clearly that you're talking to job shops. So that's why you highlighted being on the fabricator as one that was hyper-specific because you're like talking to your exact audience there. Whereas something like Manufacturing Happy Hour, which covers a wider swath of the manufacturing industry, let's be honest, probably still will be valuable, but not quite as dialed in as the example you were just given, which I think one of the important points for folks out there listening is that, you know, the more you can niche down, the more likely you are talking to a smaller audience, but a higher likelihood that they're the right audience. And that's something that I think when we see a world that's based on likes and reactions and numbers and how many downloads did you get, that stops us from often doing the right thing. So, yeah. Yeah. And don't pay attention to all that stuff. Right. It's good to track your metrics, but like your likes are really not that important. At the end of the day, I tell my clients at the end of the day, the only real important metric is how many RFQs are you getting or like how many actual leads are you getting from, you know, from the work that you're doing. Yes. Excellent way to wrap that part of the conversation. Don't get vanity metrics confused with like the real tangible metrics. Like, are you getting more RFQs as a result of doing this type of work? So maybe one thing we can do here is you have helped me out in the past by helping dial in a brand manufacturing champions. I mentioned it a couple times on this show, but for those that are getting familiar with it, I mean, as, as, what I've been doing as a podcaster, what you're doing as a voice in the industry, you could name any list of voices in the industry like Jake Hall, the manufacturing millennial, a lot of people that have been on this show before, Megan Zimba, you've highlighted her who runs Mavens of Manufacturing. We've seen that there are more voices in the industry that can be leveraged for the exact type of things you're highlighting, like podcast guesting that can help brands elevate their own brand. So you had helped myself out and Jake Hall as we built out this initial, we'll call it, it's a brand, it's really a community of voices in manufacturing. I'm curious, when we're talking about how to build out a brand, let's use this one as an example. What are the things that you and I were working on to really dial in who that audience is and what that message needs to be? Before this, I was looking back at our 
at the brief that I wrote up for you guys, um, just to remind myself of that process and what you guys were, um, what your goal was then, which is still, I think, pretty pretty much the same. You're you want to bring more influencer, whatever you want to call it, voices. I, I, I'm still voices, call, yeah. yeah, the voices of manufacturing um, creators. Right. You want to bring those creators together and make it easy for um, for companies to interact with them, engage with them and help building their brands. A lot of what we talked about was what what are the misperceptions around that right now and, and how are you guys trying to address that? That's a, a huge part of what I talk with my customers about. What are what are things that people that your target audience dislike about that thing what about whatever it is your process and how can we how can we reframe that with the messaging and the marketing don't get stuck in the past on the manufacturing champs website like like the future is this like we're all going towards that you know we're all more digitally social we're uh we're engaging more with with content on on the internet so so don't get left behind and just making it exciting like our uh, the video that we did at the top, it's flashy and fun and moving. Those types of things uh, grab attention and make people like think a little bit more. Yeah, and I think when y- you highlighted a couple things, right? It was about making manufacturing more exciting. It was about leveraging voices in the industry that that have their followings. It's interesting because we worked on that over a year ago. And I do think similar to what we've talked about with other brands, there's a third element that's evolved from that is when we started that people were still getting a feel for, hey, how do I partner with a podcaster? How do I partner with someone that has a large social media following? As people start to understand that a bit more, our mission has evolved to, hey, not only do you need to be leveraging these voices, but you need to be complementing, maybe partnering with a voice in the industry with raising your own voice as well by starting to be uh, a voice in manufacturing or a voice in your niche yourself. Because at the end of the day, it's great to have, you know, someone amplifying your voice through a podcast, through a YouTube video, through a post on social media. But it's a multi-pronged approach that I think now we're trying to educate the industry on hey, how do you also start raising your own voice and how do you also start sharing your own perspectives? Um, So that's where, uh, back to one of our earlier points, right? It's about listening to the audience that's out there and figuring out, hey, where does the brand need to evolve? So all this to say, I have another question related to your current audience today. Let's talk job shops. Let's talk these small manufacturers. What, What is the issue that these groups are having now when it comes to reaching their audience that might not have been the case, let's say, years ago when you started it? What's the new thing that brands need to be thinking about if they're going to raise their voice to point people to their job shop, to their business, etc.? I think there's a few things. Obviously, talent is huge right now for job shops. As these shops grapple with that issue, whether it's doing more training and working on their cultures and things like that, or automating or both. Um, Their their brands need to reflect that too. If your website looks like it was built in 1990, uh, but you have all this cool automation and equipment and your team like 
sometimes would rather be in the shop than at home. And, you know, but none of those things are coming through in your brand. Then even if you are at the top of Google and somebody gets to your website, are they going to think that you're the right fit? Are they going to think that you're a shop that is thinking about the long term and working to, uh, to set themselves up as a partner for their customers? That's a really big thing right now. I think there's a lot of change happening in job shops. And if you're not changing and you're not evolving, then you're going to get left behind. And your customers know that. <laughs> you know, customers that are sourcing your services, they know that. So let's, to, to kind of put a bow around this part of the conversation, what is something that small to mid-sized manufacturers, that job shops, what's a short list of things they should stop doing? And what's a list of things they should definitely be doing right now? Stop listing your, stop just putting your equipment list on your website. Are you selling equipment or are you selling services? Because I come across job shop websites all the time. They just have, they don't have like services listed. They don't have a services page. They have a, an equipment list. <laughs> Why do you have an equipment list on your site? You're not selling equipment. You are selling services. You are selling expertise. You are selling, you know, skills that other shops don't have. So what are those skills? Stop trying to do everything. Stop uh, just taking any project that comes in the door. I know sometimes it's hard to say no to work if you're, you know, if you're in a tight cash flow position, but how, how much is that job that's not a right fit for your shop going to cost you in the long run? That, that's a huge one that I see is just, they're, they're just take whatever. They don't get really specific about, about the types of work they want and the types of customers that they want to work with. Um, and, and both of those things just, they just suck up money. They're, they're, you know, they're profit hogs. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate you highlighting. You kind of highlighted both answers in the same two things you listed. It's like, stop saying you sell equipment, start focusing on the solutions and services. So that was a stop and a start there. And the second part of that was stop taking any project that comes in the door and start taking the ones that are most important to your business. Cause like you said, it comes down to these are things that suck money out of your business. So um, well, as we're getting towards the end of this conversation, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. We're going to go back to your story, your personal brand, your own personal brand, because as we're talking about branding, I think it's very appropriate that for those watching the video version of this podcast and really in any Zoom call or Teams call that you have with Emily, there are vintage horror movie pictures behind you <laughs> like creature from the black lagoon like that's your vibe you're like you are very explicit that you know you kind of like that spooky stuff that halloween vibe and you've built that into your personal brand to showcase some personality i'm curious can you highlight why that's been important for you and why that's important that people find and let, let's put it this way how do people tactfully mix in something kind of fun in random about themselves to make them more relatable. I'd love to hear that story from you. I, I mean, a big part of how I've built my uh, my network and you know authority uh, is by having these intro calls, right? So I make a connection on LinkedIn, and then I usually will offer a fifteen minute intro call. So I'm on these Zoom calls all the time, and having something in the background, just it's a, it's an icebreaker because I can kind of talk about it and where it came from. And, and it, it, 
gives you a personality. It's hard to get the drop on somebody, right? Just from seeing their LinkedIn profile. When you bring some personal elements into it, you look more human. And that's something that all of us need right now when we're constantly trying to assess whether we're talking to a bot or not, (laughs) you know, on the internet. Great point. We got to know a little bit of your story at the beginning of this interview, but one thing you brought up in this conversation, one thing, thing you've highlighted before, um, is that you have Crohn's disease and you've highlighted it from the perspective, or at least the the question I have for you is, you know, everyone has unique aspects about who they are, whether it's something along those lines, whether it's where they're from, upbringing, et cetera. They're all things that make us unique. And you've talked about how you've used that as a strength as an entrepreneur before. So I'd love to hear how you leverage that as a strength in your business, the way you go to market, all those type of things. First of all, Crohn's, like having Crohn's is a big part of probably what pushed me to start my own business and, and to rework my process in the way that it, in the way that I do it. It's hard for me to be in person. Number one, I had a major surgery about six years ago. Ever since then, it's been really hard for me to like go and be in an office for eight hours a day. I tried for a couple of years and it just was awful. It's definitely uh, affected the way that I approach my business and the way I structure it. But it's also just made me resilient. Being an entrepreneur is hard. It's very hard. It's not, you know, it's not a level thing. It's not like having a job. You're not just going into to work every day and doing the same things. It's it's constantly up and down. One day you have an amazing opportunity that comes up and the next day you realize that your bank account is <laughs> completely shot. It takes a lot of um, a lot of grit and you know resilience to 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 put up with that. Having managed my Crohn's for more than half my life, it's definitely been a learned trait. I've had to really advocate for myself. I don't know how much you've had to deal with our wonderful healthcare system in this country, but uh, you really have to, you know, sometimes scream and cry for what you need in order for them to be met. And sometimes you have to do that as a business owner too. Like you really have to stand up for yourself and say, Hey, I need this thing. Like, this is what, (laughs) this is what has to happen. Otherwise, you know. And, you know, we highlighted job shops a lot in this interview, right? But there are other groups within manufacturing that you started to specialize in. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, sure. So I define job shop as any shop that's building or any company that's doing custom work for manufacturers. Um, So that can include fabrication and machine shops, but also uh, robotics integrators, service providers that are specifically working with manufacturing, prototype companies, engineering firms, things like that. Excellent. Well, I will have a link to connect with you and Marketing Metal over in the show notes. Emily, I just want to say thank you so much for jumping on today's show and taking some time to hang out. We got to grab old fashioned soon. Yes, please. Thank you so much for having me. Cheers. Of course. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening. Like I said at the start, if you want to access any of the resources that Emily and I spoke about today, whether that be marketing metal, whether you want to look up our Western Michigan cocktail crawl we were talking about at the start, all those are over at the show notes at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 143. By the way, if you want to check out what Emily's work looks like, head to mfgchamps.com. That's the website for manufacturing champions. That's also in the show notes. And like we said, she put that website together 
the other reason you might want to head to mfgchamps.com is if you want to figure out how to share your own voice in manufacturing while leveraging established voices and influencers, there's a contact form over on that site. Just look for the big Let's Talk button. We'd love to chat with you and see if there's a way we can help you elevate your company's message within the manufacturing world. Before we wrap up, just want to say thank you to our sponsor today, Traction. I also want to give you that call to action if you learned something from today's show. Share what your biggest takeaway was over on LinkedIn. Share a link to the show notes, manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 143. Start a conversation. would love to get other people chatting about leveraging their voice in this industry. Anyway, that's enough of my voice this week. Stay innovative. Stay thirsty. We'll catch you again next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.